0: Well, I just wanna acknowledge this moment for a second. Um, Wow, Uh, we are here, Kent said it right, we are here. Uh, Those of us that work in campus ministry, we love you so much, we love this place so much, and we have learned over the last year and a half or so that we don't need this place to worship. Uh, We are a community without this building, but it feels so good to be back in this building with you here. So um, thank you, Jesus, for this gift. Uh, well, like um, like you might remember, this semester in chapel, we are working through the book of John. And this morning, uh, we have a story about a really big wedding that turned into a really big party where Jesus did his first supernatural miracle that was turning a lot of water into a lot of wine when the host ran out. So it's a story about weddings and alcohol and miracles. And I ask, is there any better way to get your attention? (laughs) Clearly, Jesus didn't know the rules about the big three. But our text this morning comes from the book of John, chapter two. So I'm going to read this now, and I invite you to listen for God's word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim he said to them now draw some out and take it to the chief steward so they took it and when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew the steward called the bridegroom and said everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So here's the question for us today. What does it mean to believe? And specifically, what does it mean to believe in Jesus, to believe in God? Because these are really important questions and questions that you probably have reckoned with at some point in your life, whether that was the prompting and prodding of the core curriculum or otherwise, these are questions that we hope you sit with here, when you're in college at Whitworth, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? You might have come to some great conclusion on the matter, and that's wonderful. But in any case, I think that this passage here today has some important things to teach us about belief. Okay, so what are some things that you believe in? If you say Santa or the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy, come talk to me afterwards. We help make college a little bit easier for you. Um, our English word, belief, it often means accepting that a statement is true or that something exists. So for example, this summer there was a big hullabaloo about UFOs and the news and what the government was saying and not saying about it. And I found myself asking, do I believe in UFOs? Right, you might believe in dinosaurs or the Civil War or the Holocaust, not because you've actually seen these things with your own eyes, but because you've done the work, you've read the book, taken the class, and you believe these things existed. You might not know this about me, but I really like to run. And um, i uh, it's really hard to do that regularly now when I've got these two little children running around from the crack of dawn, insisting that I try to convince them to eat and use the toilet and sleep and be nice to each other all day. But back before I had kids, I loved to run regularly and I loved to run marathons even. The Chicago Marathon in particular is uh, just one of the best races. And what makes it so great is that this marathon, 26.2 miles, it's a very, very long race. It takes several hours to complete even if you're fast. But the cool thing about the Chicago Marathon is that there's usually 25 to 30,000 runners and about three million people show up along the 26 mile course to cheer you on. And so the course is just lined with people on the sides and they're yelling and they're encouraging and they're ringing bells. Um, And some of them are holding up signs that say really kind things like, you got this, you can do this. Um, Just a little bit longer, keep your knees up, you know, and they're all very nice. But some of the signs are hilarious and they make you laugh when you're running, which is great. My favorite sign of all times that I've ever seen was a gentleman who was dressed, no joke, head to toe in a legit uh, Bigfoot costume. And he was holding a sign that said, you may not believe in me, but I believe in you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Belief, right? What does it mean to believe in something? Accepting that something exists, right? That something is true. But here's what I want to draw out for us this morning. That is not what John means when he uses this word belief. When John says at the end of our story that we read this morning, and his disciples believed in him, John is using that word belief differently than we might use it when talking about Bigfoot, for example. Belief is something that the Bible talks about a lot and that John particularly and uniquely highlights. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they don't use this phrase as often, but John loves this phrase, and he uses this word differently than we might use it, and that difference can be seen here in John 2. Okay, so there's a wedding in town, and I love that the text points out that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Right, Jesus was a guy that went to weddings with his friends and had a good time, So there's this wedding in town and Jesus is there with his buddies and with his mother and everyone's having a good time. The party's bumping until the text says the wine gave out, meaning the host ran out of wine. The people were having too good of a time. Okay, and there was this imminent threat of killjoy that was about to end this wedding prematurely when the wine gave out. But Mary, Jesus' mother, was pretty convinced that this party shouldn't also give out as well. And so she mentions this to Jesus. She says, the wine is gone, right? And Jesus, there's a moment where they talk about timing between them, but then Jesus gets to work. And I love... I love what Mary does here. It's almost as if Jesus is in the foreground looking at the problem and he's kind of rolling his sleeves up. And then the camera kind of pans to the back to Mary and the servants. Okay, these servants, the least important people at the whole wedding, at least socially, these servants are being paid very minimally. Uh, to be the nameless ones who just keeps the food and the drinks supplied and the problem solved and the mess cleaned up and the story zooms in on them. Much to our bride's chagrin, I'm sure. And these invisible ones take center stage. And Mary leans over to them and instructs them clearly, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And so this story that was told in the past tense, right? There was a wedding. Jesus had been invited. The wine gave out. All of a sudden, it takes on this present tense. Do whatever he tells you. And so we hear Mary say that to the servants, but it's also very easy to hear Mary say that to us. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And that word, whatever, kind of hangs in the air. What does that mean? What does that entail? We wonder, and I'm sure they wonder as well. So Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they fill them with water. And Jesus tells them, draw some out and take some to the head servant. And so they fill and they draw and they take. And these are not like unusual things for servants to be doing anyways right these are kind of ordinary things but the result is extraordinary jesus takes 180 gallons of water and turns it into 180 gallons of wine and that's a lot of wine right and this is not the cheap stuff this is the best Which is kind of a funny detail that scripture gives us here. Jesus makes 180 gallons of absolutely top quality wine that helps keeps this wedding party living on And so there's joy and there is dancing and there is laughing that hardly even gets interrupted by this crisis Perhaps even that gets elevated by the quality of the wine that has improved so much It's a true celebration of marriage of community, a miracle witnessed only by the servants and the disciples here. God incarnate, revealing his intimate connection with heaven to these, his disciples. And so the story ends when John makes a point to tell us, after this miracle, that Jesus' disciples believed in him they believed in him which is kind of strange if you think about it right because these were his disciples hadn't they already believed in him when jesus called them in chapter one didn't they make that decision then that said yes jesus i believe in you i will follow you but here in chapter two they believe in him again john two reminds us that that word belief here is different, right? It's not just a one-time thing that happens in Sunday school or at summer camp or with your mom before you go to bed at night or in youth group or at chapel last year. Belief is different here because it's something that happens again and again and again, right? It's more along the lines not... um, I believe that you exist. I believe that this miracle happens. It's more along the lines of, I want to put my trust in you, right? I want to put my trust in you. My being is going to trust in your being, and that's going to change the way that I operate in the world. And so these disciples trusted in Jesus. It's this loving, living, grateful trust that's built up over time and that occurs daily like eating it's a trust that's realized again and again and again with every new situation every new day even for these disciples these followers of jesus a chance to put their trust in jesus again and so here after this miracle that's what the disciples do they believed into jesus again Band, I'll invite you to come back up. And I want to ask us, what is belief? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is it merely accepting that he existed, that God is real? Well, yes, of course, it's these things. But more than that, belief is about trust. And we learn three things about trust and belief from these characters in this story. First, through Mary, we learn that believing in Jesus is doing whatever he tells us, right? Mary says to the servants and also says to us, do whatever he tells you. Second, through these servants, we learn that believing in Jesus most of the time means doing very simple things in very ordinary conditions, right, fill, draw, take. For you, it might be listen, read, write, or go, love, wait. Sometimes it's these simple things that God puts in front of you and you take one step in front of the other. God says, you do the ordinary and I will do the extraordinary. And last, through Jesus' disciples, we learn that believing in Jesus is something that happens over and over and over again because belief is trust that's built up over time. Whatever whether we've been a Christian our whole lives, whether we're rather new to this or whether we're not there at all, the invitation here is that Jesus says, believe in me, put your trust in me. And so that's the invitation for us this morning. With this year, with this day, in this moment, how is Jesus inviting you to trust in him? Amen. You may stand. Thank okay. you.